0: This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And today, it's another installment of Ask Unladylike, where I answer listeners' advice requests that Google could never. Before we get to that, though, I'm actually kicking things off with a question for non-binary unladies in particular. I would love, love, love to know your thoughts. So a listener DM'd Unladylike on Instagram at Unladylike Media and said, Hey, I love this podcast so much. It's literally my favorite. Oh, my God. Thank you. Do you think you'll ever do an episode about non-binary people? I identify as non-binary, and we often get clumped in with women because some of us are assigned female at birth. I feel pretty strongly about this because so many events are advertised as women and non-binary welcome, as if non-binary people are women light. Also, I love that you call the fans unladies because that's literally me, lol. And that DM instantly struck me because I know my cisgender ass has been guilty of doing the women and non-binary kind of tacking it on in an effort to, yes, be inclusive, but I completely understand how that's really not enough, how one might get the feeling that you're just being treated as women light, as they put it. This listener is absolutely not alone in this feeling, in this reality, and I've also read compelling arguments that women and non-binary welcoming events aren't necessarily as inclusive as they might come across to a cisgender person such as myself, since they might not be trans welcoming, you know? So... I messaged the listener back and asked if there was any particular kind of conversation around non-binary people they wanted to hear about or folks they wanted to hear from, and they didn't have any specifics, which is totally fine. But I just wanted to take this opportunity right now and ask non-binary unladies if this resonates with you, if... There is a kind of conversation that you'd like to hear about it. Maybe it is the sidelining of non-binary identity in feminist spaces. Please let me know. This is an episode I would love to do. I would love to learn more about myself. The more I learn about these things, the better I can be when it comes to talking about identity on the podcast. And speaking of which... I think it's time for y'all to meet today's guest that I am so truly grateful, took the time to come on the show and and answer a very important question that, yes, has to do with parenting, but y'all, this is knowledge we all need to know. Well, to start, could you just introduce yourself and share who you are, what you do, and why?
1: Yes. Um, Well, first, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, My name is Cameron Van Fossen. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm the executive director of um, Gender Spectrum, which is a national organization that works to create gender-affirming and inclusive spaces um, for children of all genders, but specifically for gender-diverse children, I was raised by parents who were very um, thoughtful, conscious people and really cared a lot about community. And I think that instilled in me a lot of the values um, that kind of put me on the path um, that I went on professionally in terms of working in community work and in nonprofit work. And so that's kind of who I am and how I got here today.
0: What is it like leading gender spectrum in in such a highly charged time like this?
1: Yeah. Well, I consider it an honor to do the work that I do and to have a professional life that's so closely tied to my vocational kind of like personal calling. So I want to start by saying that. But it is challenging. I think it's the hardest on our clients, of course, and on our staff members um, as well, because, you know, we're kind of living in an unprecedented time in terms of the legislation that's coming forward and the negative mental health impacts that the a lot of the transgender related bills we're seeing come forward, you know, have on especially gender diverse children and youth. And so it's a really challenging time in terms of, yeah, the overall mental health and well-being of families of transgender children and youth and providers to, you know, because we care so much about their well-being and it's it's an unprecedented time where there's not really a guidebook on how to navigate what's happening and ensure everybody's well-being. Um, So we're relying on emergent research, we're relying on experts around mental health and on um, what we know to be true about why having gender-inclusive spaces is so important to children's mental health.
0: So let's listen to this question from an unladylike parent who called in and left a voice memo for us.
2: Hey, Kristen. Um, I am writing, sending you a message, whatever it is that I'm doing, because I have a 14-year-old kid who is non-binary and we're extremely supportive of them. Um, And lately, uh, we've been talking about binders and those sorts of things because their breasts really make them uncomfortable. And I'm doing... You know, I'm I'm buying the binder, I'm trying to help them feel comfortable, but in my head, I just, I keep going back and forth and think if it was my kids' nose or their hips they didn't like, we would do work around that, we would focus therapy on that, or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just... So unclear where how I can be a supportive mom and not feed into self-hatred, but also support their gender identity. And it just feels like such a delicate balancing act and I don't know. I guess I'll never know if I've done it right. But anyways, I would love your opinion and your insights. Thanks.
0: So before we get into specific advice, what are your initial impressions just hearing
1: hearing that voice memo? It sounds like a really um sincere and dedicated parent who is genuinely concerned about the well-being of their child. And so That's a great starting place um, because that means that this child is living in an inclusive um, space around their gender identity at home and has a a loving, supportive parent. And um, those are wonderful indicators of positive mental health outcomes for that child. So overall, it's a really um, sincere and earnest question about how to best support their child, it sounds like.
0: Does it resonate at all with questions that you hear from parents through gender spectrum and kind of what other parents of gender diverse kids are going through and trying to navigate?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Parents who come to gender spectrum to expand their understanding of gender and learn to become Uh, more supportive parents, or just learn supportive parenting practices around their child's gender come from a really wide range of backgrounds, ideologically, and basically in every possible way. And so, you know, lots of parents who are trying to better understand their gender diverse child have really big, challenging questions that they're struggling with around what it means to be supportive and, and how to best do that.
0: It seems like the kind of core question there is, how can I be a supportive mom and not feed into self-hatred and also support their gender identity? So how how would you approach this question?
1: Well, it's such a good question. And, you know, first I would say to this parent, thank you so much for your dedication to understanding Your child and to helping them have the most positive self-regard possible. Because I think that is so important. And I I just think it's kind of cute to hear um, that mom say like, I'll never know if I'm doing it right. Because it sounds like just through the questions that you're asking, you're doing a great job and your kid is super (laughs) duper lucky. This mom has a child who's non-binary and you know that means that that child does not really experience gender according to a binary understanding of gender as being either male or female and it also sounds like their child is struggling with gender congruence is what we call it at gender spectrum and that really means um trying to find a social way of presenting their gender that aligns with their internal or the identity piece of their gender um, and that can be really challenging for many non-binary children and youth, but really people of all ages. And it sounds like by binding their chest, um that gives them a greater sense of congruence externally with their with their gender identity. And so I think it's kind of the answer to this question really comes down to differentiating between beauty standards that are imposed in our culture upon young people, but specifically upon, you know, young folks who are assigned female at birth and young women between that and gender congruence and gender congruence is specific to children who are gender diverse or transgender. And so I think this is a great question, right? This parent's trying to understand what's the line between unpacking beauty standards that I don't want my child to feel like, they have to abide by. And I want to help them have the tools to identify and unpack and resist and um, feeling affirmed in their gender identity. I think, again, I would just say here that binding one's chest to feel more congruent with their gender identity is not an issue of beauty standards. It's about what makes that young person feel affirmed and feel like they're they're achieving gender congruence, basically. And we know from research that supporting gender diverse young people in achieving congruence it is really critical to their well-being and mental health as well. So I would say this parent is on the right track by supporting their child in achieving gender congruence and um, supporting the practices that help their young person to achieve that.
0: And ladies, have you ever been in a pinch needing to find some medical care and played a little round of Dr. Roulette You know, just find the nearest doctor, book an appointment, and go. I did this once when I tell you it was the strangest and maybe the longest gynecologist appointment of my whole life. (laughs) Never again. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Surprise twists at the doctor's office are great for, I don't know, like a stand-up set, maybe a fun story on a podcast, but not exactly what you want from medical care. With ZocDoc, there are no alarms and no surprises. Choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse doctor profiles, upload and verify your insurance information, and get the care you need. Go to ZocDoc.com slash unladylike and download the ZocDoc app for free free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com unladylike. Zocdoc.com slash unladylike. First of all, being 14 across the board is a difficult time, you know, it is a challenging age regardless. So (laughs) So, so there's that piece. And how do you, how does one distinguish, you know, when, when listening to say a 14 year old going through it, distinguishing between the way that this mom puts it, self hatred and the
1: search for. Gender congruence. Mm. This is a really hard one because um there's there are myriad um factors that contribute to the feeling of lack of congruence around gender. And a lot of the the contributing factors to that are just the fact that we live in a society that doesn't treat non-binary identity as a given or a normal, a normalized thing. So because there's not a lot of external Uh, Indicators that your identity is normal as a gender diverse person, there can be aspects or feel like um, somewhere on the spectrum of like self hatred or self non acceptance, or, you know, just really struggling with a lot, a lot of gender diverse people of all ages struggle with um, aspects of their body, but that it's also not. An experience that is relegated to transgender or gender diverse people because there are a lot of people who already are cisgender so um, that means that their gender as they experience it their gender identity aligns with the sex that they were assigned at birth so a cis woman would be somebody who's assigned female at birth and lives as a woman that person May also have aspects of their body that really they struggle with accepting um that could be related to beauty standards or just may not be, and maybe things that they just don't like about their body, frankly, so I think every parent wants their child to fully love themselves, and I think we can also acknowledge that um full self acceptance and you know body acceptance is a lifelong journey, even for those of us who work really hard on it and, and feel really good about it. So I, um, you know, applaud this parent for wanting to reduce any symptoms of self-hatred and kind of, um, negative self-regard that their child's experience experiencing. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that we all deal with Negative self image and um, challenges around body image. And there are some unique and specific challenges around body image related to being gender diverse or transgender. But they also can be, like this parent kind of says, talked about, unpacked. You know, I hope that this parent feels empowered to have those conversations with their child and say, like, I've noticed that you're being really hard on yourself about um, your chest. You know, I don't want to pry, but I want you to know, like, I'm here to talk about that with you. And I want you to feel supported to unpack that. Mm. And I support your identity. And so um, if there's anything that's helpful for you and I to talk through with regard to your body image, you know, I'm here for you.
0: And as far as initiating those kinds of conversations with a child, is there a best approach, a best time, like, because also thinking about My 14-year-old self being a little skittish sometimes, like, to have a sit-down with a parent. Um, But how? what's the best way to facilitate those kinds of conversations, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think, um, and so we at Gender Spectrum specialize in helping support parents on affirming parenting practices and parenting practices that help your child feel seen and honored in their gender identity to the end of the positive mental health outcomes of children and youth. This is kind of our specialty, but um, (laughs) I would say it's a really um, important practice to, well, I guess I'd start first by backing up and saying, I think in general, parents that come to gender spectrum tend to be fearful of initiating these kinds of conversations in a way that is not always accurate to the way the. Young person in their life will experience it. So I think, you know, parents often feel like my kid's not going to want to talk about this. It's going to feel weird and burdensome to them for me to bring it up. And really, much more frequently, young people and youth are sharing, like, it's really helpful when my parent is proactive around bringing up support of my gender identity and it's proactive about um, supporting conversations that, you know, I need to have and things I need to think through. And I think every parent can trust especially with an adolescent your child will tell you if they don't want to talk about it you know they'll say <laughs> i don't want to talk about it leave me alone mom or whatever mm-hmm. um but at a time when your child is not already triggered or having like a really tough mental health moment around um trying to achieve gender congruence is when i would suggest doing so so maybe like after that moment has passed um when everybody's kind of doing their own thing in the house or you know, there's a bit of a lull in the energy and if things are feeling more calm and there aren't any um, really charged topics or things already taking place, that's usually the best time. And I think, yes, on, you know, your child's turf, kind of like if it can be in their room where they feel most comfortable or in a common space, that's where there aren't other people around, um, where you know that you both feel comfortable is great too. But Yeah, just with like that gentle approach of, I really want to be here to support you and framing it from that perspective. And totally fine if you don't want to talk about it, but I just want you to know, you know, I'm here to support you and to have those conversations with you if it's helpful.
0: And we have kind of touched on this a little bit already, but you know, this mom says, I guess I'll never know if I'm doing it right. Would you agree? And Are there ways that this mom can maybe feel, develop a little more confidence in how she is supporting her child?
1: I think that this mom is probably already doing a great job. It sounds like this mom is really supportive of her child's identity and um, that they have a really inclusive and supportive culture in the home around their child's gender identity. Those are wonderful things um, for that child to have. I think that one way that this mom can kind of strengthen her confidence is, you know, I'm a really big fan of continuing to self-educate and seek out resources that help oneself, but also others better understand Um, the identity of those around you, especially your own child. So I think that's always a great thing to do. Seek out resources. um, And I have many that I can share with you um, at any point in time that we can also share with listeners. But I think actually asking for feedback from your child about how you're doing and supporting them around their gender identity is a really great practice. And I think, you know, with every topic that's either challenging for any family, there is just like sort of a human inclination to want to avoid it as a topic, Mm. even in the most well-meaning families, you know, because sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about things that are challenging for us. But I think just saying like, Hey, it's really important to me to have you feel supported. How do you think I'm doing on that? Like, what could I do better and owning things that you know, you're working on like no parent uh, knows innately how to use correct pronouns for a transgender or non-binary child. It's a learning process for absolutely everyone. So, you know, even saying like, I know I sometimes struggle with your pronouns um, and that's a challenge for me. Sometimes I slip up. I'm aware of that. I just want you to know, like, it's something I, I'm i going to continue to work on. Are there other areas of feedback that you have for me about like how I could better support you? Um, that will be so meaningful, to that child and just really help also to build the confidence of that mom that, you know, I'm getting positive feedback from my child about where I am in supporting them. And that will help that mom as well. But I think just one more word of kind of comfort and encouragement to this mom is your genuine concern and care are so evident and your child is so lucky to have such a devoted parent caring for them.
0: And there's obviously a lot that we... Don't know, just from this voice memo, in terms of this mom and the family's broader support system, the kind of environment, community environment they're living in. Do you also have any advice, should this parent encounter hostility from relatives, folks in the community who are not so on board with... This mom embracing, fully embracing their non binary child.
1: Yes, this does happen commonly um, to many families of gender diverse um, or transgender children. Not everyone lives in a community where everyone is supportive or has even the majority of family members um, in their corner in terms of supporting their child's identity. And every individual parent should use their own discernment and discretion in navigating conversations with folks who are not aligned with their parenting practices around their child's identity. And by that, I mean, you know, we each know who in our lives we can kind of delve deeper into issues with and and we'll be able to have constructive conversations where we each learn. And we know the folks in our lives where you're probably not going to get far getting too into the weeds about gender identity um, and so on and so forth. But for the sake of this question, if you have family members of the latter category who probably you're not going to make a lot of headway with trying to debate that there's more than two genders or that the gender binary um, is not fully reflective of the diversity of the experience of gender in our society. I would say the advice that we give is just to reaffirm your right to make the best decision with child and with the providers, be it uh, mental health providers, therapists, doctors, etc., who are involved in helping make decisions around your child's identity, to just reaffirm your right to do that and say, "Listen, I don't tell you how to parent your child, or you know how to live your life, and I respect your right to make autonomous decisions in the context of your family, and I'm asking for the same." I Please trust that um, every decision that we make, we make as a family with the support and expertise of our providers. And I think it's only respectful to extend to me the same agency and autonomy and the same rights that, I, that you're afforded in your parenting or in your, you know, it doesn't have to be parenting, but in your autonomous decision making for your life. I think that that's kind of a framing that anyone of any ideological background can not really argue with. I mean, of course, they might still argue, but (laughs) I think it's at least a bottom line that affirms I have the right to navigate what's going on in my family as we as a family decide is best. And I think everybody in this society and in this country deserves to be able to do that.
0: And would you have any advice for, let's say a gender diverse kid who might be listening, who wants to get through to a parent who might not have a supportive mom in their corner, who's really, you know, trying to do the work to, to proactively support them. Just any thoughts on how to get through to a parent?
1: Yeah, this one is hard. And frankly, um, it's pretty standard in this kind of uh work that we do with transgender and gender diverse young people in particular not to encourage any conversation or um kind of fighting for recognition of your identity in the home that could lead to you being mistreated mm. or or any negative outcome in your Home. So what I would say to gender diverse or transgender young person listening is your identity is valid. I'm so sorry if you do not have parents or caregivers who can acknowledge that. And please seek out the adults in your life, wherever they are, school, after school, a quirky aunt <laughs> that supports you and recognizes the validity of who you are. And cling to those people and listen to them and internalize their love for you and know that those people who can't see you and can't honor who you are, that's not your fault and it's not your problem to fix. Um, Your only job is to affirm your own identity, know that you're real and valid and seek out people who will support you.
0: And what kinds of resources would you recommend?
1: There are so many. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, For young people, there are lots of organizations. I would first say seek out your, I think it's really important to have in-person support from like a local LGBTQ plus or transgender focused nonprofit. You can easily Google that. There are also national support groups for transgender children and youth. Um, I can kind of give you a whole list Kristen, after afterwards, and we can share that with listeners. Um, of course, please come to Gender Spectrum as parents, caregivers, or professionals who are looking to increase your understanding and knowledge of gender, learn best practices for parenting, or for working with trans or gender-diverse children multidisciplinarily. We work with school districts. We work with mental health professionals. We work with medical professionals. Really, any professional background, we can help train you to provide the most inclusive, inclusive, gender-inclusive services. But yes, we. I'd love to connect with anyone who's interested in parent or caregiver support or professional training. And I can also share with you many resources of folks working directly with transgender children and youth on support.
0: Fantastic. Well, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure listeners
1: know? Just to acknowledge the challenge to the mental health of the families of trans and gender diverse children and gender diverse and transgender children themselves in this moment in time. Because there is so much legislation coming forward, 532 anti-transgender bills have come forward in 49 states. And we just know from research that these bills negatively impact um, the mental health and well-being of transgender children and adolescents. A recent study from Boston University names high rates of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and PTSD as a result of this um legislation. So it's just a more important time than ever to take strides to create inclusive environments for transgender and gender diverse children and to increase resilience and um, help them think about how to uh, kind of wade through this really terrible news cycle and that they're especially adolescents are um, kind of forcibly exposed to. And gender spectrum, we're working really hard to increase our mental health training and capacity so we are also a resource for that if we can be helpful
0: well thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and answer this question and also just for all of the work that y'all are doing with gender spectrum
1: thank you so much for having me i'm such a huge fan of what you are doing on the show and it's just an honor to be with you today
0: Unladies, I have to share a little follow-up with y'all from our unlady mom who wrote in. I emailed her last week to let her know that this episode was happening, and she wrote me back and said, thank you so much, Kristen. I'm in Texas, which means I've been fighting for trans rights and all the rights for my kid to get the care they need all session long. I'm tired, and like a lot of parents of trans kids across the country, I'm terrified. Knowing that I could ask this question without judgment and with the prospect of an expert's help means the world to me. And that meant the world to me. I know that there are other unladies listening in the same boat. I see you, and I hear you, and thank you. Thank you so much to Cameron. And if y'all want to learn more about Gender Spectrum, you can visit their website at genderspectrum.org and follow them on Instagram at gender underscore spectrum. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
2: or a lot... Before we
0: wrap up this episode, I have a response to our last Ask Unladylike question from Stacy about finding a job in what feels like a hopeless time. And here's what Maya from the Netherlands had to say. I empathize with Stacy and her question about entering the labor market in the social slash green sector. Here in Western Europe, it's a highly competitive field where each year there are brighter, more ambitious, and more privileged people trying to score their dream job. I agree with the advice that you and Annalie provided. May I also add a few pointers that my friends and I consider to be tricks of the trade? Maya from the Netherlands, of course. One. Volunteer for a cause that aligns with your career values, even at the local community level. It can provide you with the same skills as an internship, allows you to meet people within the field, teaches you valuable terminology and concepts, and gives you relevant experience to mention in your application letters. Two, follow the organizations that interest you on LinkedIn and social media. You'll be tipped off early about vacancies, but also about lectures and events that organizations host. If you can attend said events, it allows you to get to know the field and perhaps meet some of the staff of that organization afterward. 3. I strongly endorse the practice of calling the organization before you apply to a vacancy there. Sometimes you have to dig around for the phone number and have the right person to speak with. Have one to two smart questions about the vacancy to ask the recruiter or human resources. And make sure they hear your name and that you explicitly say you're enthusiastic and are submitting your application today. For me, at least, this really helped me get at least an interview. These phone calls also served as an avenue for me to assess the organization and whether I actually wanted to work there. That is some next-level shit, and I am impressed. And honestly, the hardest part, like Maya says, would be finding an actual phone number. Okay, four. Four. Always add something personal about the organization in the first paragraph of your application letter. Recruiters tend to skim read, but if you can link yourself to the organization in the first paragraph, you'll stand out. And finally, number five, here in the Netherlands, many people find their jobs through networking, connecting via LinkedIn, and by generally knowing the right person. You don't necessarily have to network with the director. Reaching out to interns and junior staff and offering to buy them a coffee or lunch can be an opportunity to get real talk from staff who are inside the organization and may have fresher insights and more practical tips about recruitment than people who have worked there for years. Again, LinkedIn is the best way to connect with staff members within an organization if you don't know anyone, at least here in Europe. Job seeking is a nightmare. Be sure to remind yourself of your good qualities if you receive a rejection letter. Making a list of your positive attributes can remind you of your worth during an often soul-destroying process. Wishing you luck, Maya from the Netherlands. Maya, thank you so very much for these excellent tips, even though I will say that knowing you have to spend that much time on LinkedIn does send shivers down my spine. But I realize it is a useful tool. (laughs) Okay, and ladies... Again, thank you so very much to Cameron Van Fossen of Gender Spectrum. You can find Gender Spectrum at genderspectrum.org or on Instagram at gender underscore spectrum. Cameron also shared a bunch of resources with me from Gender Spectrum and resource roundups that they rely on that I will be sharing in the source post for this episode. You can find all of those at unladylike.co slash episodes. So if you or someone you know is looking for help with things like discussing gender diversity with kids, school dress codes, changing bodies to match gender identity, you can Find all of that on the source post, or of course, you can head to genderspectrum.org. Cameron also recommends the book The Transgender Child by Stephanie Brill, who is one of the founders of Gender Spectrum. Thanks also to our listener and mom who took the time to ask unladylike. I really hope that Cameron's answer provides both some insight and comfort. And if you have a burning question or advice request, I am all ears. You can send your voice memos to hello at unladylike.co or DM them to me on Instagram at unladylike media. You can also send me a typed out old school email, but I do really love a voice memo. I mean, This is an audio format. (laughs) If you'd like to help keep the lights on at Unladylike, please consider becoming an Unladylike patron. Head over to patreon.com slash unladylike media and join for $5 a month or more. Uh, you know the drill by now surely you get an extra bonus episode every single week uncut interviews with some of our featured guests and all of my undying gratitude patreon.com slash unladylike media you can also follow unladylike on instagram twitter and tiktok at unladylike media Unladylike is an Unladylike media production created, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Mixing and mastering is by Multitude Productions. Our music is by Flamingo
2: Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson.